the stories that you try to convey with art, all of the arts, they kind of, they connect with what's happening. It's impossible not to feed into, into the reality, the current reality, when you're, when you're producing work, any type of artist will necessarily, even if you live in, in, in the mountains and don't see much people, but somehow there is a reality that, that you feed, that fits into what you're producing so and the more connected you are obviously the more the, the stuff that happens around you is going to, to feed on to what you're producing then you might say you choose to be more or less activists on what you want to say and how do you want to say it Welcome to Insights of an Eco Artist. I'm your host, Joana Larcão. I'm an eco artist, writer, and curator. In every episode, I bring worldwide artists that embody the fight to create a more thriving world. Welcome back, dear listeners. It's such a pleasure to have you here again with me. Today, I'm actually recording outside, so I'm really enjoying the beautiful landscape that I have in front of me. Today is the usual format. I don't know if I, I think I told you this before, but we have an interview format on the first of the month and on the 15th of the month, we have our second format, the co-host uh, with Shannon, Contemporary Currents. Have you listened to our conversation about Pedro Raya's work? It was, it was really enlightening. So I hope it was for you too. So if you have any comments, as I told you before, tell us about that because it's a new format for us we are evolving and i think uh, we have recorded five episodes already and we can see the evolution of our conversation and our dynamic so i hope you keep up with us and listen to to the to the conversation we have because i, I think it's it's also interesting to be diving to the work of artists from our own perspectives uh, without knowing a lot about the artist's perspectives, not that, that we don't do extensive research for these co-hosts, but we are not with the artist itself. But today, we're going to embark on an interview with Armando Ribeiro. He is a Portuguese speaker, so for me, it was really amazing to be having a conversation with someone who talks my natural natural tongue. And uh, it was really good to, to be talking with him. We started in Portuguese and then we dive to, to English and then went back to Portuguese again. And, and he's from, from Angola, but uh, flew, flew Angola when he was really young. And he, he went to Portugal and then now he's in the UK. He has been all over the world and you're going to see that or listen to that during the conversation. So he's a photographer and his photography portrays some of the issues that humanity faces within modern society. So as a child, and Armando will talk about this, uh, he developed a fervent fascination for far-off lands and ancient civilization that you can still see on his body of work. So his work captures not only the physical landscapes uh, that surround him, he's, he talks about this also, goes, uh, he always has a camera with him and he, he captures uh, his surroundings, but also he talks about the humanity within these landscapes. So he explores the interplay between the natural and the man-made environments, often in the stark contrast of rural and urban settings. So Armando is not only just a photographer, he is a storyteller, he has over two decades of experience 
weaving these narratives and he brings us tales from the past and the present and we are invited to contemplate the human condition. And Armando not, not only, as I said, is a photographer and storyteller, but also he works, worked, and I think, I think he still works in editorial photography, the arts and heritage preservation. So he has worked in collection of archives, museums and libraries, and he has also a publishing house. So he really has a very interesting body of work that I think you will really enjoy. So let's dive in. Hello, Armando. Thank you for being here with us today. Can you just start you by much. giving us an overview of your practice? No, thank you very much for for having me. My practice is very twists and turns in the sense like I'm I'm self-taught. I'm I self-taught. So I've learned by doing or I started learning by doing and by, by reading a lot of books about photography and by looking at a lot of photography by other photographers. And then it was an when this was I was about fifteen or sixteen when I started. But um fiddling with with my mom's camera and then kind of started wanting to like maybe you know and, and then so getting books and looking at photography, going to exhibitions, so on and so forth. And sorry, and it wasn't until I I did my degree, which is sort of related. My my degree is on uh, journalism, so uh, communication studies. Um, but I was lucky enough that the the degree that I did was quite practical. So I had quite a lot of workshops, and I had a, an internship in each of the years uh, of my degree. So, and I always directed or tried to direct. My those practical sense towards image, towards photography, towards design, and so yeah, so that's how I start, started. And then basically, I've when when I started my my career, I went into into editorial, kind of alongside working <laughs> with archives. And again, yeah, so it, it became this this kind of multifaceted thing. I I can't say I'm a full time artist because most of the times what it pays my bills is not the art is the work that I do most of the times associated with photography so I did photo editor jobs I did photography jobs commercial ones so my personal projects are kind of they kind of they get fed by the day job yeah what do you mean by archivals it's just a curiosity for me what did you do by archival or on on working with archives yes so it's called because it belongs to the to Lisbon municipality and so I did a six months internship and it was yeah so that's where I learned basically about conservation of photography about database um we're talking about 1998 99 <laughs> so the digital era was just we were just in the spring of the digital era the digital development and the digital people kind of starting to come to terms with with digitizing things and so on and so forth. So, yeah. And in there I met Luis Bavon, which was probably one of the, the biggest specialists in Portugal working with photography. And that basically 
used to work on ICO, still sync, still works with quite a lot of public and private collections and museums. So Carlos Gulbenkian Foundation, the National Heritage or the equivalent in Portugal, National Heritage, the Ancient History Museum, and so on and so forth. So yes, it's deep in, in a lot of projects. So Ani was one of the common or the, the chief conservator at the municipal archives. So when I finished the, the internship, he, he invited me to go and work with him, working in, in there digitization and digital databasing that was kind of my my foot in the door and that's stop thinking with it okay i think i get it <laughs> i was just curious what it yeah, meant but yeah so and again it depends on, on the uh, the big part of the archives that i worked while in in portugal they were mainly photography archives or, or where the the blind chair of of the archive we were dealing was photography then when i moved to the uk and i started working with when i worked with the royal horticultural society then further on with the archaeology the type of of items spans from books to finds to sculpture whatever was in those collections so did you enjoy the type of work did you call it correlate no, I, with i i love it i, lo I love working with heritage I don't, I wouldn't say necessarily that directly, there is a direct correlation with my personal work, but it, it is definitely something that where I learned a lot, both technically, um, but also fits a lot into then what becomes my personal work because you get working with archives and then again, each archive is, or each collection, let's, let's call it. Collections. Each collection has items that you somehow will have to create a relationship with being um, paintings, illustration, books, whatever, photo photographs. So, and that kind of connects with what I was telling you with the first question. You end up by being exposed to that, feeding your own intellect. And then at some point, it will also kind of streamline into into what you produce. So going going a bit to your beginnings, can you share mm -hmm. how your early experience of fleeing Angola and your childhood dreams of discovering ancient civilizations have influenced your approach to photography and storytelling? Well, the, the fleeing Angola wasn't necessary. I didn't do much because I came with my parents. Uh, so I was two, two and a half or something. So... In fact, my recollections of, of Angola, which for who doesn't know, it was a, a former Portuguese colony. My uh, recollections are, they come on from, from pictures, from f photography. So I, as I said, two, two years and a half, I don't have many or something that I can kind of think that I, oh, I remember that. It's not, not even close to that, but obviously... There is a lot of albums at my my mom's house, and and so there is a lot of photography, and and yeah, and that's why I kind of got to know about the place, and obviously by talking with my parents, with my grandparents that were also there, and so yeah, so that's the in in that sense, I guess the 
the way it feeds my my practice is that somehow I I in you know like most people they can say oh I'm I'm from here or this is my home I don't necessarily have a place that I can say oh this is yeah where where I'm from because then we moved to, to Portugal I grew up mostly around Lisbon or I grew up mostly around Lisbon but with a lot of time spent also up north in the Dodo region where my family is originally from so I was kind of so did the schooling in Lisbon but then then most of the holidays and in Portugal the holidays are quite long I would <laughs> get ferried up up north um which well ferried in 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 not a depreciative way at all it was actually a, a wonderful thing to to be here for a for a, a city boy to kind of experience something like absolute freedom to be up up north uh, in a in a, a small village up in in the Marown region so so yeah so in that sense I, I don't don't have necessarily a place that I as I can say I'm from there and so that detachment I guess it feeds a lot in, into into the way I kind of start seeing the world and then the second thing that that feeds into that is my my early love for archaeology and I guess both of them are kind of uh, end up being being very um very important on the way I see the world and then I kind of try and translate that vision into into the projects that I do funnily enough fairly recently I, I was working with a company that does archaeology um, so we kind of almost came full circle that love of photography when when I was uh, small and then kind of joining photography and archaeology so uh, so going a bit specific so one of your artworks in specific so you talk about in terms of concepts changing landscapes the global environment and the human condition can you mm-hmm. describe a specific project that tackles these themes i think almost all my works they somehow have that as as kind of guidelines you know or guiding lines Let's put it this way. There is an image that probably, or a single image. I, I usually don't don't like to talk much about single images because I like to see photography as a, a vehicle of, of storytelling, and and so it makes much more sense for me personally to see photography as a group of images that kind of portray um, or, or or convey a story. But if if I were to condensate. <laughs> Let's put it this way: that the this or or a place where I can encapsulate all of that in in one single image. It, it must be an image that I've done about ten years or so ago, in curiously in, in Portugal when I was on my way to the south for uh, for an exhibition there. And just a few days before this national park, the Guadiana National Park, had an immense fire, and so all that landscape that we were driving through to get to Tavira down in the south of Portugal was completely burned. So we were we were at the top of a of a hill overseeing a a sequence of hills. So yeah, it's a very hilly area that that park. Well, not not very common on that region of Portugal, but it kind of 
the division between Alentejo and then Algarve is this kind of sequence of hills or mountains. So um, so we were at a, a very high place and we could kind of see the landscape um, from there with a sequence of mountains and valleys and stuff and completely brown and grayish. And on the mountain directly across from us, there was a road that kind of made a, a heart figure right in the middle of it. So yeah, so I kind of did a few shots. I was shooting with a medium format camel, which is what I kind of, what I've reverted back after a, a short stint with, with digital. And so yeah, a square, it's a square photo. So just framed the heart right at the, at the mid. So you see that road, the heart-shaped road. And the grayish, brownish landscape. So I need that, I guess, dichotomy of the natural world that has been kind of reduced to ashes by by human hands. Uh, and that, that symbol of, of the heart, of that kind of, yeah, uh, somehow make, makes it all okay. In a way, you know, makes makes that picture pleasing to the eye and kind of diverts a bit your your attention that that landscape is, is that was a, a, a natural part that is completely burned out. So this photography in specific was something that happened without any thought to the matter. You, you were going to an exhibition, you crossed this landscape. So it makes me curious about your process as a photographer, because my dad is a photographer and I know he has a team normally and he goes out, mostly wildlife. Uh, so he goes out and he knows more or less, he follows the herds of the horses or in the beginning wolves. And then he took the, the pictures according to that. So what is your creative process in terms of approaching these teams and then delivering a specific photography or series? We're talking about personal work other than commissions. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah, yeah. Because for me, they're two completely different approaches. <laughs> when when I do commissions, and again, as I said, I've I've worked in editorial from from nineteen ninety nine until two thousand and seven. That was complete. So you have a job to do. You you get sent to a place, or at least I was at the time. Now it's completely different. But yeah, and you had kind of a briefing, or you had you were going to cover something, and yeah. you have to be methodic on the way you go about getting those images that are going to tell that story. On my personal practice, is is completely the opposite. So I have okay. a completely reverse way of approaching pro projects, and I I probably should say very well. There is one at the moment that is kind of following in a different trend, but most of, of my projects to date, they start by me photographing very okay. freely. Um, I um, I work in the street mainly, so some people might call it street photography, some documentary, the, the boundaries nowadays are so blurred anyway. So I tend to, to start photographing almost unconsciously, or it's, it's just part of my life. Photography is very 
is very second nature or first nature in the sense that it is my main of communicating. And so most oftentimes I have a camera with me. So most often I, I start shooting something that I don't, don't necessarily know where is it going to lead me. So I photograph. It's not until fair bit after developing films and start looking at images on and then start placing them together that I can see then what am I actually trying to say. And then obviously the editing process does the rest. It's almost like doing a puzzle, I guess. Okay. You start by by having small little pieces that you can start putting together and start making up of an area of a puzzle. And then you start making another area. And that starts to kind of expand and build like kind of like a 3,000 pieces or whatever. So you normally have your camera always with you or you just book a bit of time when you have it and you just go out with your camera and if something pops up, you take a picture mm. of it? No, most of the times I have always a camera with me. Well, nowadays even more because we have the mobile phones. Although, yeah. as I say, for my personal work, I'm... I'm completely, I've put digital completely to the side. Uh, so I should mainly film 35 millimeters and, and 120. So uh, kind of a, a twin lens camera, 6.6, uh, so square format, and then 35 millimeters. But yeah, so I have always a camera in me anyway. Also, if you are an artist and want to be featured on the magazine, go to the page, submit your work on our website and see the required steps. We hope to see your work. So, because you are talking about your practice here, mm-hmm. you just oppose rural and the urban environments. Uh, it is mm-hmm. a recurring theme in your work. So can you mm-hmm. elaborate on what draws you to this contrast and mm-hmm. how it informs the narratives you create through photography? I guess what what draws me draws me to to that is the is the contradiction. It's the contradiction of the development. Let's let's call it that. Is or or the contradiction of the evolution. Uh, call it whatever. Going from a a natural environment, from a connection, an environment where you're much more connected with the earth and with with the cycles of of the year to to environments where the built structures are everywhere basically and then the interesting thing and and that's kind of a a work that i've started and it's kind of one put aside a bit but i might go back to it the interesting thing is even on urban environments you always see this this need that man has of getting green areas kind of to break up or to to give you a respite sometimes of I guess of of all that stone concrete and that is all over you literally. So so yeah that that contradiction is is always quite present for me, both in my mind and on the way I I am I look at things and then try to build narratives about about that. Somehow we uh, 
we came from a situation where we kind of lived off the land and alongside the land. And nowadays, in urban metropolis, we can completely build over everything. And what that does as well to the relationships we create, both between people and between each other and and between us and, and the environment. Is this a recent theme within your work or is it something that has been present over your career as a photographer? I guess it evolved naturally, but even looking at my first book, Depressive Landscapes, that started as a essay, let's put it this way, about the concept of no place. At the, at the time, I was reading a lot of sociology and Marc Auger and stuff. So that concept of no place, like, it kind of, cool, I like this. And and then naturally started photographing no places. Uh, and then obviously once I started editing, oh, there you go. That's, that's probably it. And again, as that work pretty much lasted about six or seven years of photographing for it. You can see kind of in in the way that the work, the images that compose that work, you see images that are are like a a plain exp visual explanation of what the no place is, but then you you actually see those cleavages and those dichotomies and between the the urban uh, natural environments and then the big urbs because along that period, um, it's a period that took me from Portugal to the UK to Asia, so to North America. So during that time, I traveled a lot and I lived in four or five different places between those years. So... Uh, from, from Portugal to, to London and then London to Bangkok. Um, and then I had a few stints in, in Canada, um, much briefer, but all the images on that, on that project, they kind of spam all that time. And so, and there's, yeah, the, the cleavages between the built environment and the natural environment. I think, I guess it was, probably the first time where where it was much more much much visible I mean, uh, or much more present in my work that dichotomy yes, that contradiction so you have two upcoming projects that i believe are two books if i'm not mis mm -hmm. mistaken maybe i am yeah. two books yeah. yeah can you talk yeah. a bit about that yeah there there are two books there are kind of in final stages really it's a question of when are they going to come out or when do i have the time to to get them out because i created a small imprint a small publishing house to basically publish not necessarily just my work but other people's works so to date we, we've uh, we've published two books and then i've been kind of involved in in other people's books that kind of came out in other publishing houses but um but yeah so this this platform is kind of uh, a way for for me to to get work out and where i can kind of somehow control the process a bit of a control freak on that sense so yeah so 
one of them is a very personal work and that was shot over a period of a year and a half and just shortly before the pandemic. And it has to do with relationships, with mental health, with... It, it's a bit of a concept book, really, so it's all 18 images and it's kind of a small little scene. And then the other is a much wider, um, well, in terms of time um, that it took to photograph. Again, it's about relationships as well. It's about how your life evolved uh, around relationships and yeah, and now that's kind of lost connections and new connections and how that kind of transports you from A to B. Let's put it this way. But on this one, yeah, there's again a lot to do with, there's a lot of people in these images, which is something that doesn't necessarily exist on, on previous works, but there still is quite a lot of images without people, but that there is a, a human presence. There was one, or there is somewhere kind of just off the frame, or the environment that you see on that image, it is a, a man-made kind of um, environment, so there is necessarily the the reference to to some some someone on those images. So so yeah. So those are the two kind of ready on the process of getting out. And then there's another project that is on stages of development research. But that's yeah, still very um, early to to talk about cloudy. Okay, <laughs> because I, I have to write about it because I'm I'm applying to a grant for that project. So. Yeah, it's a bit unclear how that's going to pan out, depending on if that grant uh, gets given or not. And obviously, because it has to do with time frames and so on and so forth. So it's much more documentary, let's put it this way. Yeah, with a, a visual storytelling um, um, twist, but it has the basis of documentary. Also, we had the amazing opportunity to partner with sound artist Annabelle Galea, who created the sounds that you hear during the conversation. You're gonna hear and listen to her work during this season, so go give her your love and support. I will leave the link in the description so you can find her. So this question is also a question I sometimes ask myself about my work in some ways, but not in this wording. So what do you believe photography can contribute to preserving and sharing stories from our past and present? Well, we live in an age of images, isn't it? I guess it started back in, or on photography when it was invented and when it was a definite turn in terms of documenting events, documenting people. Wasn't it? It's like you had, you see photography done in the early ages. You have the photography in the wars and how that evolved from a, a pure documental to what what it is nowadays. All of this, it, it's coming to my mind. It, it was a discussion that always existed and now it kind of, it, it's almost nonsensical. But during a lot of years, there was this discussion about photography being an art or, or being just a, a mechanical 
uh, process. And nowadays you don't see that discussion anymore, you know, because I guess somehow people come to terms with or came to term or or, or are just so used to seeing images and, and and most of the images that you see are photography besides that the moving image that you see on TV and on 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 these devices that we're uh, talking through. But but it's still I guess one of the most beautiful mediums to record human evolution of on the last century i think and and somehow versatile because you can yeah and and definitely most democratic nowadays because everyone is a photographer everyone is a, a mobile phone with a camera on it and for the bad for the bad and for the worst so so yeah it, it it has a huge role in documenting and and in preserving but then obviously we'll, we would get into other conversations or on how we preserve a photograph being a physical one or a digital one but that's i guess we would be opening a pandora box in terms of of conversation if we dwell into into that but but it's definitely in in essence, let's put it this way, the most democratic way of recording and, and preserving stories of the present and of the past and of the future. And because sometimes when I, I look at my work, I don't even mean in terms of, you know, the technicality, how we evolve as an artist and as a technician, but I think the works because I believe photography too, because you have the, the taking the photo to the editing, you have, you spend a lot of time with that work. So in mm. sometimes it preserves a bit of an identity that you had. So when you look at your photography, because when sometimes I, when I look at my work, I see snippets of my past selves and my what I was going through at the moment. So when, when you look at your work, do you see it as... Or do you see that it preserves your history as a human being or as a photographer or an ev evolution for sure? Do you see stages? Do you see where it changes and it moves? Or you don't look at your art like that? No, definitely. I, I, I totally agree with you. And, and I guess that's pretty much the same for any artist or photographer. If you... When you look at retrospectives of artists, you, you usually are able to see, especially if you look at things chronologically, you can see the evolution of it. When I say evolution, I'm not necessarily saying that he got better or worse. You see the, how it developed. Let's, let's talk in development terms. With my personal work, definitely, I can definitely see myself on it and as you say and and most of the times it is important in almost in a um acting as a diary you know because there are things that there's things about what i was going through or how our life was that sometimes you, you forget it's natural if you forget, especially if there's things that are traumatizing or that you weren't that well in that time. And that's uh, also one of of the important things for me in photographing is maintaining that that memory. So 
further down the line, I can look at it and and see what it was, remind myself. Photographing is a very uh, selfish thing. Most of the photographers, the ones that won't tell, tell you this, they'll, they're lying. Because you, you first and foremost, you're photographing for yourself. Simple as this. And then it comes the, the stories that you build and the exhibitions that you put out, the books that you, that you produce, that comes after. Most of the times, or most photographs, they photograph for themselves. Not necessarily as a, a diary, but they photograph for themselves. <laughs> uh, <but laughs> Difficult question. Yeah, it's, it's, <laughs> no, not necessarily. It's just, yeah, it's something that, again, we could probably be here all night talking about these things because it's not a, a yes or no answer. It's something that it kind of connects with several other things. So, so yeah. So moving on to our last three questions, I'm sure mm -hmm. you're familiar with them. So what are your insights into the importance of art as a tool to raise awareness of social, political, or ecological issues or problems? We, we, we touched on that just on the, on the question before about preserving stories, isn't it? The stories that you try to convey with art, all of the arts, they kind of, they connect with what's happening it's impossible not to feed into into the reality, the current reality, when you're when you're producing work. Any type of artist will, will necessarily, even if you live in, in in the mountains and don't see much people, but somehow there is a reality that that you feed that fits into what you're producing. So, and the more connected you are, obviously, the more the, the stuff that happens around you is going to, to feed on to what you're producing. Then you might say you choose to be more or less activist on what you want to say and how do you want to say it. But somehow every piece of art created correlates with the present and with the past experience of, of who creates it. Um, then, obviously, as I was saying, you can choose to be more or less active on conveying messages that relate to, to, to social issues or ecological issues, political issues. But again, I, I think because art is somehow this, the, the nature of art, hopefully, is that is preserved for the future generations, it, it has a valuable um, importance or it is of, of, of valuable importance to to convey those messages yeah so what is the most important lesson you have learned over your career not take yourself too seriously <laughs> ever it might sound silly or when i say not take yourself too seriously i'm not saying that i don't do things properly or it's not taking yourself too seriously in the sense of don't think you know everything. None of us has the monopoly of wisdom and we must always be ready to listen and respect other points of view because it's on that that you really evolve and is on that awareness, on that acknowledging there's other points of view from 
completely different from yours, that you you then be able to somehow produce work that's uh, this is a personal view. What I'm saying now, work that is that somehow takes you to the next level. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. So what are three things you recommend an artist to do for themselves in their careers and why? Well, I'll start with what I told you that I've learned or the, the most valuable thing, don't take yourself too seriously. Then somehow correlated to that, be informed, learn about the past so you better understand what's what's happening before you. And somehow, in some ways, Well, that will prepare you for, for the future or for what might happen immediately after. Um, so being informed in a sense, look at other stuff that was like if, if we're talking about art um, and not necessarily just about photography. Very important in my formative years is that I looked at a lot of photography, a lot of art, not just photography, a lot of painting a lot of sculpture, a lot of architecture, a lot of other things. Yeah, don't focus just on, on one thing. Be, have an open mind. And then last but not least, don't give up. Persevere, persevere, persevere. Because it's not easy. Life is not easy. And a career in arts is not all but a, a straight line. It's a complex complete roller coaster that takes you can take you all the way to the top close to the stars and can take you down down underground so be ready to ride that but but persevere don't put yourself in a situation or you focus on 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 being famous or whatever just persevere through your practice and yeah. believe on believe in in the process You know, if you believe in the process, um, something makes sense. Things will make sense if you believe in that process and persevere on it. Yeah, because the career in arts is not as straightforward. It's different for, for everyone. And I think some emergent artists have to understand that. When do we get out of college, we think, is this going to be a career? We're going to be staying in this path of doing the same thing. And is always very different. And we agree a lot with you is just persevering and finding our own path. I think I have mentioned this in previous interviews and talks. Is finding our own way because every artist mm -hmm. is very different. And as you were saying, you have your publishing house and you have your personal work and you have work that you do for other organizations, but that still feeds your own practice. And I think artists have not, as you said, not take themselves so seriously that they don't see how they can balance everything and just enjoy the process of making art. Definitely. So Armando, thank you for, for having this interview with me. It was lovely talking to you. Thanks very much for having me. <laughs> <laughs> I hope you have enjoyed this conversation with Armando. I shared that I think he has a lot of good insights into the world of photography, heritage and conservation. Uh, so if you have any comments about the podcast or you want to reach out to Armando with any questions, please reach out to us, to our email, to our social media, and I'm like, sure, pass the message. <laughs> So don't, me don't miss a single episode. Make sure to follow Insights of an Aquarius on your favorite podcast app. And for even more content, behind-the-scenes insights and updates, 
follow us on Instagram, Insights of an Eco Artist. And also have a look at our Patreon page. We are still in the beginning and we are trying to, to put new stuff there. So if you wish to support us, please do. We want to keep this project alive. And also visit our website to learn more about the platform and the show and, and any new initiatives that we are creating. So let's keep up the work we are doing, exploring the intricate relationship between art, culture, and the environment, and uncovering how artists are using their creativity to advocate for, for positive change. Until next time. <laughs>